encourage you to uh, grab your Bibles or devices or whatever you use uh, for the scriptures, and so that we can uh, get into that here in just a moment. I, literally, this morning when I was driving in early, and uh, I was thinking about the service and reflecting over things, and, and, and literally, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to present the uh, annual budget and this kind of stuff. And literally, this thought flew into my mind, and I, I'm not making this up, it is that, is that, I wonder if these people know I would do this for nothing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to be able to do a passionate thing, which is open God's Word, and I'm called to do this, but I'm grateful that you take care of us, and uh, for sure, but, but uh, I just, it's that just strange thought that popped into my mind, I'm like, man, I want these people to do, I do this for nothing, and uh, I, thank you for paying me, though, uh, <laughs> for, for that. Uh, you know, for you that are, uh, haven't been around, we started a new series for you, uh, Sonny's Back, calling it A Test of Character, and we're looking at the life of Joseph. But let me give you background as to why we're even doing this series, not just because it's in the Bible. I was reading through the scriptures in a year, like I always do, and I was in Psalms, and in Psalms 105, the psalmist is given a historical perspective of everything in the Old Testament and just kind of bringing it through. And as I was reading, uh, it says in Psalm 105, 16, I'm going to be going to the main passage in just a minute, but this is what it says. He, being God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And I thought about that. God was testing Joseph. And he's developing his character all through his life. Everything was to set him up for a historical move of God that was going to take place. And so all of this is testing his character. And then I started reflecting on this year, 2020. I mean, we would all say this has been a test of character for us. We, we have been in places that we never thought we'd be, what's right, what's not right. Uh, the hindrances, the moving forward, everything is a uh, test of our character. And then you look at the division in our country, elections coming up, all of these things. God is using this to test our character, I think, as Christ followers. So for a historical move of God, we're ready for that. And uh, in, in Joseph's life, we see that. That's why we're walking through this. And we're going to be in John, uh, Genesis Genesis. 37 here in just a moment, but let me let me kind of see who's in the room just for a moment. How many of you are firstborns or only children? Firstborns or only children? Okay, all right. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but of the 29 people that have walked on the moon, 22 were firstborns. That's uh, uh, that's pretty pretty cool deal right there for you firstborns. I, I know about firstborns. I'm not a firstborn. Uh, my wife is a firstborn, so I'm a study. You know, Peter talks about to basically become a student of your wife, so I've studied her as a firstborn. And uh, what I've learned is some things about this. 
when you firstborns were born, everything revolved around you, right? I mean, your your mom and dad, everything revolved around you as the firstborn kid, and, and so everybody was looking at you. Here's another thing is that parents were very cautious uh, trying to figure figure you out as a firstborn. See, you were an experiment for them. They had never had an infant before. They never had a father before. Uh, God knows they hadn't had a teenager before. So they're trying to figure figure you out, and you're an experiment as that uh, firstborn. Uh, also, you firstborns, everything was done by the book, black and white. There was right and wrong. Uh, that's the way you were raised. Whatever that book may have been, that's how you were raised. The other thing is, is your parents had huge expectations for you. I mean, they just created perfection. And so you were to be, be perfection, right? There were huge expectations for you. But one of the things I've uh, seen that any person wants to struggle with is people pleasing. Because you were put on a stage, you know, look at them. Look, they're, they're speaking or they're, they're walking, you know. They got a tune. You know, everything was applauded, and, and so you learned the stage presence uh, of, of the firstborn. This this is you as firstborns. Now, how many of you are babies? It, 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 you're the baby in your family. Okay. All right. Um, and, you, and there's a reason they call babies of the family, even even <laughs> the age. Um, are you... Let me ask this along with this. How many of you were born and your parents were in their 40s when you were born? Is there anybody? Okay. Uh, all right. A few of you. Uh, that would have been considered older age uh, uh, for, for somebody having a baby. That's interesting. That's going to come out in Jacob in just a moment. But you babies, uh, your parents were less cautious if you had older siblings. They were less cautious. I, I remember going over to see a family. There had been a death in the family. I go over there to visit the family. And this family was in the in the process of renovating their house at the time. So they had ripped up the carpet and they were down to the foundation. Their furniture was on the foundation and this kind of thing. You know how the foundation so does. And uh, so that's what they were down to. Son was there with his children of, of the, the family. He was holding his toddler in his hand. Toddler had a, a pacifier, dropped a pacifier on the uh, cement. He went down, picked it up, stuck it in his mouth, and stuck it in the, the child's mouth. You ever seen that? And somebody said, oh, I'd never do that. Yes, you would. Have multiple kids, and you will. But but the first thing I said to him was, uh, that's not your first born, is it? He said, oh, this is the third one. He said, you know, that, that first one, you, you sanitize, you may go buy a pacifier to get away with it, but, but not with the third one that uh, comes around. Here's another thing. Parents are tired by the time you come around. Uh, they've raised, especially, my, my dad was one of 11, and so I'm sure they were exhausted by the time he was in the middle, but especially by the time they got to the baby. But here's another thing about where babies are born into the family. Usually the, the family's a little bit more economically settled. Uh, you know, you can never afford a child. If somebody says in this room, oh, well, we'll have a child when I can afford it, you can never afford a child. That's, that's okay. Uh, but, but parents are better off economically, so the child is raised different. Babies, 
You're just raised different than, than the firstborn that were there. Uh, okay, how many middle kids are in the room? Okay. Middle kids, uh, uh, it's been proven their trouble comes with you. <laughs> middle kids. And, and here's, the, here's the reason why, is that you come along and perfectionists just come along and then you come along. And you can never measure up. You know, why aren't you more like your sister? Why aren't you more like your brother? And uh, there's no way that you can measure up uh, to that. And, uh, and and how many kids were between uh, make, a, make a big difference as well. Imagine, though, 12 kids. Imagine Jacob and his four wives. I, I butchered the genealogy last week, but I'm, I'm getting better. But uh, imagine Jacob has 12 kids. He's going to have a 13th one eventually. But he has 12 kids. And, and here's the deal. There was favoritism in the family, and Jacob didn't care. It, it's amazing uh, how he just didn't really care uh, about favoritism. So let's read the story, though, in Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Let me read it and then we'll come back and unpack some things and get very practical. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Remember, there were four wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, let me understand something here. The name Israel is Jacob, okay? God changed Jacob's name to Israel when he wrestled with him and put his hip out of joint and these kind of things. So when it says Israel now is the proper name, that's referring to Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all, the, all his, other, his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. <clears throat> he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheep in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheep gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. And his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you, are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, Jacob buried these thoughts in his mind and in his heart, said the same thing about Mary when she had Jesus. She buried these things in her heart. That's what Jacob has done. Now, look at a couple of things in this passage I've read to you a little bit. First of all, Joseph was 17 years old. Uh, 17, 
He became a man at 12, but uh, he was still under his father's authority at the age of 17. And like uh, most 17-year-olds, they've got all the world figured out. They also, uh, somewhat arrogant and self-focused, for you 17-year-olds in the room, I'm just calling it like it is. Uh, and Joseph was 17, and he goes out and he uh, brings a bad report on his brothers. Now, looking at that as, as its face value, we would consider that tab. Uh, they were doing something out there. He saw, he comes back to tell his dad, Dad, maybe they threw rocks at Dad, you know, the, you ought to get on to him. But literally, the term bad report refers to a report of evil character. So I think that maybe what the brothers were doing wasn't so much picking on the 17-year-old Joseph as they were hurting their father's name by their integrity of the work they were doing. Does that make sense? And so they were hurting their father's name, unethical practices or something, out there in the field. And so Joseph came back to report this bad report to his dad. Dad, this is reflecting on you. This is what the boys were doing. Well, how are the boys going to respond? They're going to hate him. Uh, and they're going to hate him even more if we see. Uh, but maybe they were hurting other people. They were just not representing their dad correctly. And then it says that Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph. He didn't hide it. It wasn't like, oh, we see it. No, he put it out there. Jacob, uh, hey, uh, uh, he favored his son Joseph above everybody else. And so it says that he was the son of his old age. What does that mean? Does it mean he was tired and he just schooled Joseph? No. Let me go back to history. I'll, I'll get right to that. Is that, you remember the love of Jacob's life was Rachel. Okay? But he got kind of stuck with Leah and then he got Bilhah and Zilbah. But his love of his life was Rachel. And Rachel was unable to have children. Thus he had children from Leah and Zophah and Bilhah. But finally, Rachel became with child, and she had this child, Joseph. Now, the love of his life was Rachel, so it didn't matter, even though Reuben was the firstborn, the love of his life had a child, and that would now be his blessed firstborn in his mind. So, what he did, you, you, when you read the rest of Genesis and on into Exodus, you read about the line of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. They were blessed and they were favored because of that very reason. Now, this is important to know because despite, I wonder how Reuben felt. I mean, if you're the first one, you're supposed to get the blessing and, and it doesn't help. But all boys are going to get blessed. All these boys are going to get the blessing uh, eventually. Now, he gave him a robe of many colors. We'll come back to that in a moment. But Joseph shared two dreams with his family. The first one is just uh, the boys themselves. And he said, we were out bundling up grain, putting them in the sheaves that were bundling up this grain. And he said, mine arose, and all of you guys, your sheaves bowed down to mine. What do you think about that? And they responded, we hate you. <laughs> That's literally 
was what they answered. And so he had another dream. And in this dream, the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed down to him. And he shares this dream, not only with his brothers, but now with his mom and dad as well. And his dad finally sees this as arrogance, and he takes him aside and he says, Son, you're, you're out of line here. And, but he hid all these things in his heart because here's the deal. These dreams are going to come true. Right. And God is going to fulfill these dreams. But let me give you a couple of, of um, so what's before I get to the road, the code of many colors. First, so what is very practical. Parents, beware in how you show favoritism to your kids. Beware of how you show favoritism. But there's a very practical thing that I want to tell you here. Um, Pam and I always felt like, let's just be honest, there, there's going to come times when a kid, you're just gonna, they're just your favorite at the time. Okay? I'm just being honest. But Pam and I always used to uh, kind of live by the thought of, you know, we favor the one who is hurting the most at the time. And that's the way most of your parents are. You favor the one that's hurting the most at the time. But here's the deal. You're called to love them all, love them all unconditionally, fully, but yet you love them differently. You don't love them all the same. Uh, and that's that's where favoritism comes in because we think there's a cookie-cutter approach to parenting that if I just love every child the same, then they're going to turn out the same and be perfect. No! God is so much more creative with your kids than we are. He created them, each individual, so you need to learn how to love them in their unique way of receiving love. Now, let me give you an example. We uh, had three, three children. Josh is the oldest, and then we had twins, Ashley and Mandy. Ashley was born first with the twins, so we say she is our middle child. And so we have Josh, Ashley, and Mandy. Now, here's the deal. Josh, uh, you got to love him different. Okay? Josh, when he was in elementary school, went to Robertson Elementary, he would come home from school, he would grab a basketball, and go out on the driveway and wait for Dad to come home. So what I did is I rearranged my schedule so I could come home early so that every day at 4 o'clock I would be there and we would play basketball because that was the way, the quality time love that we experienced. Okay? And uh, I'm just grateful I had a job that I could rearrange the schedule to do that. Now, our girls... As long as they knew Dad was alive, everything was fine. <laughs> I did not have to be there at 4 o'clock, uh, but yet their love language was different. It would be uh, maybe acts of service. It would be words of affirmation. It would be that kind of thing. But you see, if I would have loved them like, I'm going to be home at 4 o'clock for you, it would have been like, why does Dad come home at 4 o'clock? You see, you see, your God gave you different kids, and you've got to learn to love them in their love language, and, and you can't show favoritism. But let me tell you this: you need to learn love the straight A student, but you need to love the screw up as well, because it will be that unconditional love that is vital. 
So point number one is parents beware of how you show favoritism. Point number two is this. Seek some input before you pop off. Uh, Joseph, he popped off his brother. He told his dream, and three times in this passage I read to you, it says they hated him, they hated him even more, and they hated him even more. So that's what they said, and he told this story. Now, what would wisdom have been for Joseph? To go to his dad and say, Dad, I had this dream. Instead of going to his brothers and said, God, here it is. We, we need wisdom before we pop off. We need to go get input. And that's, that's vital. Even though this dream was true, it was a prophetic dream. And one day, his, his brother and his mom and dad, uh, well, his dad, would bow down before him. And remember this. Remember that everything in Joseph's life, God is testing his character for how God is going to interrupt all of history. One other thought under this, get input before you pop off. Most of you in this room are followers of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus said himself, the world is going to hate you. Why is it going to hate you? Because we shine light in the darkness. Darkness can't handle it and our lives are going to be hated because of that. I see some Christ followers, though, that hasten that hatred. Instead of letting Jesus shine through them, they decide to become odd for God and, and the world is just going to hate you because they hate you. You're so weird. And so the Lord allow, allow input, allow wisdom because suffering will come, don't hasten it. Now, here's where I want to get to the code of many colors. We all have talked about uh, the Code of Many Colors. We've heard it. We've seen the animated series on it. We've seen, you've heard it in your Sunday school classes. You've heard about this code. But I wanted to look into this code a little bit and give you some thoughts on this code of many colors. First of all, the terminology is a little confusing. Maybe it was a colorful code, uh, but it definitely was a code with sleeves on it. And it was a coat that made its way to the ground. In other words, it was a pretty formal coat. It's not something that a shepherd would wear out there with sheep. So it was, it was a coat that was either fine woolen or a silk coat. In other words, it was, it was worth something. And the reason you wore it is because there was meaning behind you wearing it. Now the meaning behind Joseph wearing it in Jacob's mind was, I love him more than you other guys anyway, so I'm going to give him the coat. And that's what he did, because that's what the scripture says he did. But that coat represented more than just the favoritism of a dad. In fact, the only other time it's mentioned, this kind of jacket uh, coat in, in the scriptures, is when David's daughter, Tamar, had a code very similar, in other words, represented her royalty. Now, I want to give you six quick things about what the jacket means, or the coat means, the robe, however you want to call it. Number one, it represented royalty. Uh, the colors were probably a purple, purplish, it would show royalty, uh, not a shepherd. Uh, and we know that in Joseph's life, everything is a prophetic thing about Joseph's life. He's going to be uh, in royalty. Uh, eventually. 
Secondly, it represented favor, not only the favor of his dad, Jacob, but the favor of God, because how many times in Joseph's life did God show up and show him favor? Thirdly, the represented position. Despite being one of 12 uh, children, he was going to be raised to a high position, and God was going to raise him up, and that coat represents that position. Number four, it represented purity. Now, the reason we know this is because Tamar, when she had her coat, that she took it off after she was abused by her brother, she tore the coat, and she said, I'm no longer pure. And so it's a, it, the coat was a sign of purity. And so we know, and you're going to hear in a few weeks, how, how Joseph was put in a place of, he could have walked and chosen impurity, but he remained steadfast. The coat also represents honor and integrity. It was somebody worthy of honor. It was somebody that walked in integrity. And that's what the coat was. And then sixthly, it represented success and accomplishment. When, when you saw this coat, even though Joseph hadn't done anything, it represented success and accomplishment. And Joseph rose to number two in all the land behind the Pharaoh. Now here's where I'm going on this. Did Jacob know all that when he gave him the coat? No. He was just showing favor to his son. God knew. God knew because that coat simply reflected who Joseph was going to become. But you know, as I look at that coat, because everything in Joseph's life, God uses the old history as a type of Christ to see us the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And it reminded me of a garment and a robe that Jesus wore. You remember when Jesus was arrested? They tore his back open with whips, cat and nine tails, ripped his skin open. They took a purple robe that they found closely and they put it around him. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they mocked him. They bowed down and mocked him. I thought about that garment when I thought about Joseph's garment. Because you see, that garment, even though the soldiers didn't know it, just like Jacob didn't know it, those soldiers were saying, he is royalty, he is the king. They were also saying, he is pure, he is holy. They were also saying, he has been successful, he has accomplished something. And that's when he said, it is finished, it meant paid in full. That's all, folks. It, it has happened uh, at that point. It also means authority. It also means position. But ultimately it means this. He is the Savior of all mankind. That's what that robe signifies that Jesus is willing to wear until they stripped it off of him and put him on a cruel cross for me and for you. But one last thing I end with this. I thought about Joseph's garment. I thought about the garment, the robe that they put on Jesus. But I thought about one other piece of material, which fits into this. You see, the temple, the Jewish temple, you had the outer court for people, you had the court for the women and Gentiles, and then for the Jewish men, and he came on in to the, to the court, and you would have the place where they do the sacrifices and the labor, and they would wash, and then you would have the holy place, and the holy place was the... Uh, 
candelabra and the, the which would signify the light, and then you would have the incense signifying the prayers, and then the bread signifying fellowship with God. These kind of things, and then there was huge curtain. I mean, a huge curtain and a thick, huge curtain, and behind that curtain was the um, what they call the holy of holies or the holy place. And in that Holy of Holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant, which had the cherubim angels over it, mercy seat right here, which they put the blood in for the sacrifices, okay? You, you, you see where I'm going. Once a year, the high priest would go behind that curtain or that veil into the Holy of Holies, and he would place the blood in there for the sins of mankind. But he was only one, a priest. Nobody else could come through that, that curtain. That curtain, that curtain, the Old Testament tells us, was uh, blue, red, and purple. Those are the threads that were used that they, interestingly enough, would have taken from the Egyptians. But that is what that curtain was made of. And so that purple that probably Joseph had and that Jesus had on that, that robe and then we see in the veil, you know what happened when Jesus said it is finished? That curtain, that veil ripped all the way through, signifying that the presence of God is available for every man. Amen. Us in this room. Yes. No longer did we have to stand on the outside through the blood of Jesus. He said, come on. Come on. You know, some of you today, you need to hear the Lord saying, come on. See, this is so much deeper than showing favoritism for your kids or get, get input before you pop off. Those are important. Those are very strategic life lessons. But let me tell you, if you don't come to Jesus, all that other stuff.